Hi, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Hayley. And we're here to bring you Scene From Above snapshots. These are quickfire episodes with a new series co-host. So let's crack on and discuss today's topic. Andrew, do you want to ask the Sentinel-6 question? <laughs> and then the two of us go silent for 15 minutes. Yeah, I say. Well, maybe I can ask you guys, like, what do you know about Sentinel-6? Do, do you know anything about it? So I got it confused with Sentinel-4. I thought it was the geostationary one. And then I had a quick look online this afternoon before recording this, and it turns out it's not that one. It's, um, it's an altimeter, and it's... Is it follow on from Jason, something like that? It is, yes. So it's an altimeter. You're correct. So Sentinel-6 will be uh, an altimeter and it's kind of following on from this long-standing series of altimeters known as Jason. So it's a continuation of that. And altimetry is one of these things that you think, well, we've got an altimeter on Sentinel-3, why do we need another one? And the argument really kind of is you can never really have too many altimeters. It's, it's a team sport altimetry. You need to have lots of them flying. You know, they have these very narrow, long track measurements that they make. And so the more you have, the more dense your coverage is. And, you know, the ocean physically moves very fast. Things that we're using altimeters to measure, like storm surges, you know, waves, all these kind of things. You know, the more altimeters you have, the better you can you can study those kind of things. And I mean, there's also the sea level rise kind of question, which is, you know, a longer term kind of thing. But again, the density of having multiple altimeters is, is very useful for us um, to do that. And um, Sentinel-6, which is also known now as Michael Freilich, so you've, you've, you can hear it called Jason CS, you'll have heard it called Sentinel-6, and you'll hear it called Sentinel-6 Michael Freelich, and that is its actual name now. So it's quite cool because it's a Copernicus mission. So it's, you know, it's under the EU's um, Copernicus program. But the mission is also then with us at UMETSAT, with ESA, with NOAA, with NASA, and with Kinest as well. Oh, wow. So we're bringing awesome. all the people together that have worked through the um, Jason programs and on the current kind of um, Sentinel and Cryosat and all these different altimeters. Uh, together to launch this mission and we're in prep for it at the moment so that's what most of my Friday mornings are taken up with is the kind of uh, <laughs> weekly or I think it's every two weeks now mission kind of um, get together to talk about what's going on obviously been very difficult at the, t- at the moment because none of us can actually physically see each other yeah. <laughs> so but mission prep is still is still going on so that's very very cool um, it's kind it is kind of like the um, it's very similar to the the SRAL altimeter that you have on um, Sentinel-3 it's got some slightly different ways that it measures um, to kind of align it between Sentinel-3 and the more historical kind of JASON mission. So we've got the, we're building this long-term, you know, consistent measurement archive. Is so it radar? It is, yeah. So it's just so, our altimetry, yeah. So why is it not a LIDAR? Would that not give you the same thing? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't actually know why. Okay. I don't know why. I don't really know what the difference is between the technologies. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the numbering system for Sentinels? What, why, why is it going one, two, three, four, five, six? Why is Sentinel-6 Sentinel-6 and not Sentinel-1? And what is it with the order of launches? Talk to me about that. Why didn't Sentinel-6 come come first? You you would think it'd be four next, wouldn't you? (laughs) Right, so it's, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, I'm sure there's a reason. I feel like this might kind of be our fault a little bit. But uh, (laughs) so, so, I mean, in in case you're not aware of this, so, Sentinel-4 and Sentinel-5 are, again, not just Copernicus satellites. They are also the part of our um, operational missions that you met. They're our next generation of our meteorological satellites. So the instruments will sit aboard those. So that, I mean, that's not to say we're, we're late in planning those. I don't think we are. Um, I don't know why they were numbered in that particular way. Um, but the preparations for launch of those will 
you know, they, it coincides with um, kind of UMETSAT's planning for making sure that we have the coverage we need for our operational meteorological uh, measurement system as well. So, right, we'll have one polar orbiter, one geostationary, and those are the next generation of our system of uh, ones we have now of a uh, met a meteor sap. So there's more than one sensor on Sentinel-6? Okay, there's there's one package, it's an altimetry package, and it actually is made up of several parts. So you have the, the actual altimeter itself, which sends its, you know, radar pings down and collects them back again, but then you also have, like, the orbital determination package and a microwave radiometer that help do the corrections and the orbital determination, so you can very accurately say where the satellite is relative to the sea surface. So it's this kind of package of multiple instruments. Um, four and five, like three, have instruments for various different things on as well. Some optical stuff, some um, radio occultation stuff, sounding, that kind of thing as well. And you'll have a Tropomi-esque instrument on Sentinel-5 as well. You know, we have Sentinel-5P, so that instrument will be on there. And the reason for, for doing that is economics? To get them all onto one payload is that the right word yeah i mean i'm not i'm not i don't have a huge amount of experience in kind of the instrument specking and kind of that side but you know you ideally you want to put multiple instruments on one platform if you can uh, you know if there's space and it's you know, cost effective i mean for sentinel 3 i know the trade-off has always been with uh, you know we have to have certain orbital kind of dynamics for when you're passing certain areas in order to image them for the for the optical sensor for example you know there's no point going you know an area at night for the optical one yeah, for the for the yeah. the uh, microwave stuff for the sst yeah you can you can look at night but we also need to be in a certain position relative to the sun to get the best angular kind of positioning yep. to get the best measurements so you're always trading that off um yeah, I mean, I think this, it's interesting how they've split the Sentinels. I mean, compared to say, like, I think they're all a lot smaller than, say, MVSAT, which was like kind of the size of a bus. Um, and I think, our, you know, our METOP satellite is also really big. There's a big life-size model of it outside HQ here in Darmstadt. So they're very big, whereas, you know, Jason, for example, and Sentinel-6 are probably fairly small, I think, compared. Altimeters have been around for a while, and I get that they take measurements of height, but... Like, why are we still bothering with altimeters? Because, okay, the, the ocean <laughs> slops around, but basically, <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing it's not, it doesn't change that much, go. does it? <laughs> no, it, it really does. It moves oh, right. a lot. Okay. It, you, you can... And this is why I do land remote sensing. No, this is cool. So the ocean in this is very much like the atmosphere in that it's, it's super dynamic. It tends to move a bit slower than the atmosphere. But, you know, like you get weather in the atmosphere, you also get that kind of thing in the oceans, too. Okay. And like if you're a, if you're a ship traveling through storms and things like that, then you need to know kind of what the ocean weather is. Okay. And actually, a lot of our ocean measurements do feed into weather models. So right. the altimeter feeds into weather models, as, do, as does the SST. So like the, the operational oceanography side, you know, there is a there's a there's an overlap between what is oceanography and what is meteorology in this sense. You know, it's very, very important to have that data in there, too. OK, that's cool, because, yeah, yeah. My, my follow on question was going to be, so who uses it outside of just the sort of the science people? But OK, if it's getting fed into mm. models where it's actually providing information directly out to people bobbing up and yeah. down their boats so, you you yeah. can use you can use it to derive currents you can use it to uh, you know look at waves look at storm surges you know it feeds into things like okay. disaster planning and ship routing you know, all those kind of things as well as our you know very very important kind of climate data record of sea level rise do you feel that that these new sensors are a step change or it seems to me that, that we're in a kind of process of um continuing the record and improving the sensors as 
as as we learn more to make it make them smaller or lighter or anything like that is there a step change to come in remote sensing or have most of the sensors been kind of a high level done it's a really interesting question it's a difficult kind of trade-off I think to make you know you kind of want to advance this you know the science and to be able to observe new things but you've got to maintain that consistency in the archive and I think you know that's that's kind of what when you think about Sentinel-6 emission that's part of what it's doing is advancing that improved technology but in a way that is enables us to keep that consistent archive I mean I I think there are definitely advances to be made in in remote sensing technology. I mean, there's some that are coming up that I'm very, very excited about. I mean, things like, um, I mean, PACE, I don't know if you're aware of NASA's PACE mission that's um, supposed to launch in the coming years. So on there will be um, a hyperspectral ocean color sensor. So this will be looking across the whole kind of wavelength range in much, much finer detail than we currently have. We don't have a geostationary ocean color sensor for Europe. There is one over um, Korea. So, you know, they, they have one, which means you can actually look at how things are changing on a sub-daily level. Those, those are the sorts of things, you know, I've, I, th- I think about in terms of the ocean side. Um, I don't know for for land stuff. I mean, I think the atmosphere stuff is coming on leaps and bounds. I, mean, I think things mm. like um, Sentinel-5P are a big you know, leap forward for us in that sense. There were some really interesting candidates that have come up in the Earth Explorers from an ocean side that were really interesting, like the SKIM mission. Look at that, it's, it's linked to kind of the altimetry. But this was deploying it in a very, very different way that would have given us much better understanding of that really dynamic kind of part of the ocean circulation. Yeah, the, I think there's still lots and lots of tech to explore, for sure. With Copernicus, I think that's that's a, a good step for us. You know, it, it is this big kind of, baseline system with a long view so i hope that that becomes this kind of legacy Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.